of Acts chapter 6 here this morning. We'll come to the conclusion of the first, when we think of the outline of the book of Acts, where, again, there's just a natural outline that you see about in the book of Acts, where it says the gospel was first to go forth, as Jesus said, from where? Jerusalem. Where was the next spot? Judea, then Samaria, and then where? Bakersfield, right? The uttermost parts of the world. And chapter 6, we'll find that we're coming to the conclusion of just for the time being of uh, the work there in Jerusalem, and it's going to begin to spread outward here. Our little series called Before You Go, and we're focusing on the ministry of the Holy Spirit um, as opposed to really focusing on so much what the apostles did, but what did the Holy Spirit do in and through the lives of the, of the apostles. And uh, I titled this morning's message, Looking for a Few Good Men and Women. Looking for a Few Good Men and women, because that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing now in the book of Acts in chapter 6, and what he's continuing to do even to this very day. And I know that the Lord will use that to speak to us. And so we'll take a moment here and let's pray together. Father, we thank you, uh, Lord, so much for your word, because Lord, we trust that it's your word uh, that does your work in our lives. Your word, the word of God, as one pastor put it, the Word of God that does the work of God in the hearts of God's people by the power of the Spirit of God. And Lord, we believe that. And we believe that your Word is powerful. We believe that it's living, that it's a two-edged sword. And God, we pray that it would do the work in our hearts today. We need, Lord, our hearts worked on. And we read that last week as we studied the lives of Ananias and Sapphira and the purifying work that your Spirit does. And Lord, we need you so desperately. We thank you yeah, Lord, that our salvation is secure because of the cross, but Lord, you continue that work of sanctification to cut away the things that aren't pleasing to you, and Lord, to plant good seed in our hearts, and Lord, to cultivate it, that we would produce something that not only provides for us and those that we love, but the world around us as well, and that's a good thing, and Lord, we ask you to do that work. We open our hearts, we open our minds to you today. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you so much for Thanksgiving. It's such a wonderful time of the year for us, especially as the church, to sit down and to count our blessings and to be thankful. And we have so much to be thankful for, regardless of what goes on in the world. We thank you that you have saved us. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you provide for us, that you take care of us, Lord, and that you give us an opportunity, as we read today, to be a conduit, uh, Lord used by you to bless and to serve and to care and to love other people as well. And Lord, do that purifying work so that the things that you provide for us can flow through us, Lord, to touch the world around us and that you would be glorified because that's our ultimate desire as we gather in this place today just to glorify the name of Jesus and to lift you up and to praise you and to worship you. And we do that not just with our lips, but now with our heart and Lord, with our lives today as we go from here. We do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were with us the, the last few weeks as we, we began our study in the book of Acts, it's a historical account when the church began and how God started it and, and the growing pains, you might say, that happened. It's a, an amazing work that at the beginning there was Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit was poured out. People were being saved. 3,000 souls were saved and then 2,000 more were added to it. And we see 5,000 people have come together. And when you think about how the enemy works, that's a great opportunity when God is blessing something. And we need to be aware of that. The Bible says that we're not aware of the devil's schemes, but I can only speak for my own life. There's many times that I, I look back and man, you go, man, the enemy was right there. And he's always, as Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes, what, to steal and to kill and destroy. And sometimes we don't even see it at the moment, but you go back and you go, man, I let the devil rip me off or let the devil use me to rip somebody else off. Man, wherever God is working, the devil is right there. And we need to be so aware of that. And I, I sent my notes and I actually sent two sets of notes and John texts me, he goes, you have two different sermons here. And they really could be. I wanted to, in a sense, I was going to walk you through the 11 tactics or schemes of the devil just to help you be aware of how does the devil work? And, and those are all just from scripture and, and it's worth a study in and of itself. I thought maybe I can just touch on them as we go through this today. And who knows where ultimately the Lord will lead it in that regard. 
But we need to be aware that the devil definitely is working wherever God is doing his work. And yet what we see is that God is sovereign. God's in control. And even though we've seen how as the church began to grow, the devil was right there, right? And what was the first thing that the devil used against the church was persecution, right? So as soon as the gospel started going forth, then all of a sudden persecution comes and that gets people to stop because they're going, I don't want to ruffle feathers. And then, and then the Jewish leaders, what, they made it illegal for them to share the gospel. And as I was sharing with you last week, then at some point we have to decide, am I going to practice civil disobedience? Am I going to go against the laws of the land? And when we do that, and we have a right and a responsibility to do that, when the laws of the land go against the laws of God. And again, that we go, I, I have to obey God and more than I do man. And so those are struggles that we face. And there, there are ways that the devil works in the world today and pits the church against the church of choosing. Some would say we can go all the way back to the times of COVID, right? And go, you're not honoring the government. And you go, I'm not trying to dishonor the government. I'm trying to honor God. The government didn't start the church. God did. And we gather obviously to, to worship the Lord. And then people, what about health and safety and all these things? And those are, those are awesome things to consider and, and be prayerful about. But again, the bottom line is we walk by what? Faith and not by sight. And so you could see where people begin to have tensions and, and the devil definitely wants to get his foot in any place that he can. And, and what I love about this is that he never wins. Every time, it was, so when he persecuted the church, what happened? It actually helped the church grow more, right? And you go, up. Oh, he lost that one. And then when that didn't work, what happened? Then we studied this last week. He used corruption. He used hypocrisy in the life of Ananias and Sapphira. And you'd have thought, okay, maybe that's going to take the church down. And that didn't work. And what happened? It says that many people looked at what happened. People start dying in the church because the person who's leading the service starts pointing out sin and people just literally start falling over and dying. People were looking at that and they're going, I don't know if I want to join that, right? That's a, that's a pretty scary thing. Holiness and purity are important to God and he deals with it, but it didn't hurt the church. It actually helped the church because in that, the same way as I shared that God would prune a branch that I shared with, we see in scripture that God adds to the church, right? God multiplies within the church. And we saw he, unfortunately at times he subtracts from the church. But one thing I said, he never does, he never divides. That's what the devil does. And he uses us at times to do that. But we see that, especially here in uh, Acts chapter six. And so when that didn't work through corruption and through hypocrisy, he's going to do what we see here in Acts chapter six. He's going to try to use division. And man, if there's anything that we've ever seen in the life of a church, it's when people don't agree and then divisions take place. And so one of the things that we want to see as we go through this is understanding, is there any such thing as a perfect church? If you could find the perfect church, what would happen as soon as you walked in? Yeah, it's ruined at that point. So I'm looking for the perfect church. They go, well, if you find it, don't go in. Cause as soon as you go in, it's done. It's over. Cause what we're sinners saved by grace. But when I think about Acts chapter six, and I think about no church being perfect, and especially the thought of murmuring, right? That's a word that you're going to see here, gossiping. I think of a, a woman, her name's Mildred, and she attended a little church in Arkansas. And she was known to the church, and every church has got a Mildred, right? As the church gossip. And she was the self-appointed monitor of the church's morals. She was always sticking her nose into other people's business. And though no one actually ever approved of her extracurricular activities, they feared her and what she was capable of doing to them. So they pretty much remained silent. But one day she made a mistake. She accused George, he was a church deacon, of being an alcoholic after she saw his old truck parked in front of the town's only bar one afternoon. Little did she know that George's truck had broken down and he had parked it there in front of the bar and he had walked to get some parts at a local parts store to fix it and take it on home. But before he could get it out of there, Mildred had already started her campaign, got on the phone and started calling everybody in the church and telling George truck was parked out in front of a bar there and just began to spread her gossip and do what she normally did. And eventually the news got back to George and George was being a deacon, being a man of, as we'll see here in Acts 6, a man of integrity and a good reputation. He didn't try to defend himself. Matter of fact, 
He didn't even say a word. Just later on that afternoon, George went by and parked his truck in front of Mildred's house, and he left it there overnight. Picked it up the next morning, and life went on happily ever after. And you, you think about that, you go, there's just ways. Now, I, I don't know if he prayed about that or not, but, but I love it. There are ways that, that God does deal with situations like that. But the thing that I love about the Bible, and I pray that you do too, and it just demonstrates the truth of the Bible, because does God, does he gloss over the sins of his people? Does he try to hide them? He loves us in spite of it. Sometimes you think, oh, I, you'll talk to people and they go, I'll come to church when I clean up my act. And you go, it'll never happen. You can't clean up your act. You go, come to Jesus and let him clean up your act. That's what he does. And so he, we have all these stories of imperfect people, sinners, right? Saved by God's grace. And so he's not trying to rewrite the story and try to, oh, everybody was perfect and they did everything right. He's no that where sin abounds, Paul, remember we just studied the book of Romans, says where grace did all the more, right? That God always wins. And that's what we see is, as we go through this study here, there's just story after story, you know, of man's failure. And then in that failure, God coming to the rescue, all the way going back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. We see here in the book of Acts, and we'll see it in Acts chapter 15, the story of Saul, Paul, and Barnabas. They have a disagreement and they part ways and eventually they'll get things worked out. But this is real life. It's real ministry. And, and again, we just can't stress it enough today. Wherever God is trying to work, we have to understand the devil is right there. Whether that's in a church, that's in your home, that's in the life of your, in your marriage, that's between you and your children. Wherever you have two different people involved, you have God wanting to do something great, but the enemy seeking to destroy and of all the things that it's taught me walking through this study, and like I said, very humbling, is to recognize afresh my need for fresh baptism with the Holy Spirit on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm not talking about even once in a while. I'm talking about every day of praying, God, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be around people today, and either I'm going to be in the way or, God, you're going to come out and, and recognize that and living in submission to the Lord and asking God to do that work. And he desires to do that work. And I think, you know, we recognize the church, it needs to be purified consistently. Again, the Holy Spirit, he leads us constantly. And we see here in, in chapter six, and when we allow him to lead us, what does he lead us to do? That's to solve problems, to fix things. A growing church is going to need structure and it's going to need organization. And the Holy Spirit is there to lead and to guide and to meet us. And so when you look at verse one there, and we're just looking at basically seven verses but there's a lot, like I said, that we could jump around here from. But look at this with me in verse 1. And I'm reading from the NLT. It says, But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. And like I said, the, the enemy of our soul, he's tried, you know, what do you say, persecution. He's tried corruption. And now he's trying division. And so you need to be aware of those things, you know, in your life, because it helps us to pray. If the devil can't destroy you from without, he's going to try to destroy you from within. That's just, it's just how things are. And again, we need to be aware of that. And so it says there arose a complaint, right? A complaint. And we need, you can stop right there and you go, when you find yourself complaining or you find yourself murmuring or about anything in life, you need to stop for a second. Stop and go, God, why am I complaining? Why am I murmuring? Is this of you or is this of me? Is it that I'm concerned about other people or is it about my own desire and my own needs or my own wants? And really to ask the Lord to reveal that to you because what I've discovered in my own life when I'm complaining about something, sometimes God's going, Mike, you just need to be the answer to your own prayer. As you start to pray, you go, why did God let me, why did he let me see that? Because he wanted you to get involved and do something. It's not that people do this all the time, and I don't know why. <clears throat> Whenever there's a need, they go, hey, can the church take care of this? Can the church do this? And the church, you go, you're the church. You guys are the church. The church isn't a building. You go, sure, the, the building can't do anything. It's people moved by the Holy Spirit, right? So th this isn't the bank of Calvary Chapel. And every time something comes up, you go, no, it was, there was, needs that existed. And again, and again, being prayerful about those things. And you go, yes, there's a time you go, but God, when he brings something to our heart and to our mind that we 
first look at ourselves and we go, God, is why did you bring this to me? Why do I know about this? And I can promise you this. I know this for a fact 100% of the time. It's so that you and I would pray, that we would seek God. And there's nothing greater than that. But there's always going to be internal problems. Now, the thing that's interesting to me in this, in Acts chapter 6 here, nothing personal to you ladies that are here, but this complaining and murmuring started in the women's ministry, okay? Again, so you, you look at this, there's two groups of, of people here, right? We've got the, the Hebrews and we've got the Hellenists, okay? The, the Hebrews were those that were from Jerusalem and Judea. Mostly the Hellenists were Jews that were inclined to em, embrace Greek culture. They might've been Jews that had been dispersed, right? And were living in, in the Roman Empire someplace and had moved back into Jerusalem there. And all of a sudden you've got these two classes then of people, you know, like the member of the Samaritans and the Jews, right? The Jews always looked at the Samaritans as being half-breeds. Well, same, same kind of thing that the Hebrews say, well, you know, we, we speak Aramaic. We speak the language Jesus spoke. We study the Hebrew Bible. We're traditionalists. We've lived in Jerusalem our whole, our whole life. We never went away to college. Have you ever had your kids go away to college? They come back a totally different person because they've been cultured in that regard. And you go, yeah, it can be a really dangerous thing. This is what was taking place there. So these Hellenists, obviously, that had been influenced by Greek culture, were now back in Jerusalem. And so the Hellenists were looking, and it probably, if you read commentary, most commentary would say it, it wasn't a deliberate issue. It was just something that happened. I tend to look at it maybe the other way, they, because it does tell us there was a natural tension that exists, that the Hebrews thought they were better than the Hellenists because they thought they were pure, and they thought that the Hellenists were not. And so when it comes to the dis distribution to meet the needs of the widows that was required under law, you go, are people, do people play favorites? I go, let me just put it to that way. How many by a show of hands? You go, yes, people play favorites. Yeah, you go, it's just a thing in life. You go, so we don't have to hide it. You go, does it happen in the church? Yes, James speaks to it, right? That, that we wouldn't prefer people, but we do prefer people. You go, I know them, I don't know them. And so all these things obviously happen in the life of a church. And what does that make? Remember, what does the devil do? He waits. Remember when Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? And, and Jesus fought him off at the word, right? And it says, but the devil left from our what? Opportune time. He's always looking for an opportunity. Can you see where this would have been a perfect opportunity for the devil then to stick his head in there? You've got two groups that are in need, two different groups that have, oh, by the way, they both have separate synagogues, okay? You think we have Baptists, Pentecostals, all that. They had different synagogues. There was the synagogues for those that were Aramaic. They spoke in Aramaic, so they studied the Word of God that way. You had the Hebrews, the Hellenists, that would have spoken in the Greek culture, Greek language. So they end up with their own synagogue. So they don't even, they don't even have fellowship together. So these needs come up, and they're going, well, you guys are taking care of the Hebrews, right? You're taking care of the people that were born here, but what about all of us that have come from the outside back in? You guys are playing favorites. And man, the devil would have just loved to jump on that. And you go, and what I love about that is you go, there would have been a time when that worked. And, and we'll look at that as, as we go along here. Ministry to, to widows, is that something that's biblical? You think about, is that something we're called to do? Yeah. First Timothy 5, 3 through 8 puts it like this, says, take care of any widow, has no one else to take care of her. So it's not just like people come and they go, hey, you, can you help take care of this? And you go, no, they have other people in their life that can take care of them. It's not the church's responsibility to do it. They need to humble themselves and ask. You can't just go, I don't want to ask for help, so can we go to the church? You go, no, this is the correction. This is, we love you, but no, you need to ask your family. You got a humongous family. It says, take care of the any widow who has no one to take care of her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents for taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah, it's not rocket science, right? You go, now a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world. Now, does that make sense? Who would a true widow be then? Who would a true widow be? A true widow is one that has nobody, right? No husband, no children. She's got nobody to take care of her. Now, does the church have a responsibility? Yes. Yes, that's where the church steps in. She prays night and day, asking God for help, but the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead even while she lives. 
Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. But those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. So it's saying that if you're a, call yourself a Christian and you don't take care of your family, man, don't call yourself a Christian. Basically, is what Paul's telling Timothy. Those are tough words. But that's the counsel that we're called to give, not just, okay, we'll take care of it. Verse 2 says, So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God and not running a food program. This is like one of the favorite verses of pastors everywhere around the world. Like, it is. It's like you go, and they go, No, that's, it's not, again, I always love Pastor Chuck. Pastor Chuck, you'd see him walking around the campus and he's picking up trash off the ground and stuff. Pastor Chuck, you don't need to be doing that. And he goes, it needs to be done. And so then what they would do is they'd see Pastor Chuck doing it. So then they would, especially when Romaine was alive, so those are some of the funniest stories. Pastor Romaine was Pastor Chuck's assistant pastor, ex-military guy. And man, he would make sure he's, there better not be a piece of paper on this church campus that Pastor Chuck has to pick up. Make sure you get it there before he, because he's going to look for it. Because Chuck was just a servant. Jesus is a servant. He's called us to, to serve. But we also have to know what is the priority of ministry that God has called us to. And again, this is some read this and they go, they thought the apostles were wrong here. They're not wrong. They're doing what God had called them to do. What was the church built on? It said fourfold ministry of the church, right? The apostles' doctrine, their fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. And so the apostles are saying, hey, you know what? We've got to devote. And I'll tell you, anybody who teaches the Word of God will tell you, teaching the Word of God takes work. It's a lot of work to, to preach the, and teach the Word of God if you're going to do it faithfully. And again, there's nothing easier. There's work that's involved with this. Oh, I'll do that. And you go, okay, go ahead and try it. And then the next thing, you let somebody, and they go, man, how long did you study? They go, I studied like 40 hours, and, and when I did this, and I was just wow. I didn't know that much goes into it. And you go, yeah, there's a tremendous amount. And that's not even counting the thing that, like I said, I've shared this openly. It's not the time that I spend in the Word. I spend the time in the Word every single day, every single day. I don't ever miss a day being in the Word of God. Even when I'm sick, I'm, I'll look at something, whether it's just for personal, just a God just claiming a verse of Scripture. But one thing I can tell you, I failed miserably in my life consistently doing that is, praying and asking God for the leading direction. I don't mean not praying for meals and things like that. And occasionally this, I'm talking about the same devotion that someone's going, I spend in the word of God. I challenge that and go, okay, let's balance that out though. How much time are you spending in prayer? And I'm not talking about you. Oh, I pray all the time. I'm not the same way that you turn everything off and you block everything else to study. You want it quiet. You don't want any disruption. I'm talking about that you or on your face, seeking the face of God, going, God, I want to teach what you want me to teach. I want to share what you want me to share and to hear God. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. And I, and like I said, I, my own conviction as I go through this, because they said, they go, hey, it's not that God hasn't called us to wait on tables, but he's called us to what? To study, to prepare, to teach the word of God and to pray together. He didn't say one was over the other. It was those two things combined here. And again, I was one of my favorite pastors. I remember he was telling this story about this. He's, his wife, she told him, she said, honey, can you take out the trash? And he turned around, he looked at her and he says, honey, he said, do you see these hands? She goes, yeah. And he goes, they are anointed of God to turn the pages of my Bible. I, they are not touch a trash bag and carry it out to the curb. And he said, I turned around about that time, the bag hit me in the back of the head. And he goes, and I picked the bag up and I walked outside. He goes, my wife didn't, she didn't respect that. It was like, she understood that, hey, you can do whatever God calls you to do. And some days that's going to be studying the word of God, but some days it's going to be taking the trash out too. So nobody is, the point is nobody's what, beyond anything, right? Nobody's above, oh, I can't, I can't do that. You can do whatever God has called you to do. And they're just being real clear here. God hasn't called us to wait on tables, but he's called us to preach the word. And so I like that when it says that the 12 in some of your translations summoned the multitude. And some of the translations will say 
disciples. We, you see the word disciple. It's used a couple hundred times in the gospel accounts. It's used 28 times in, in the book of Acts here. And again, it's the very first time that it's used in the book of Acts here. So it's important to note as you look at this. And in verse 3, it goes on. It says, And so, brothers, it says, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Now, what I love about this is my focus with you has been on the acts of the Holy Spirit, right? Not so much on the acts of the apostles. It's what the Holy Spirit is doing in the life of the apostles. Now, can you remember a time when there was a need to distribute food before the day of Pentecost, where the disciples who became apostles were involved. And I thought about this yesterday. In, remember in Matthew's in numerous places, I just pulled it from Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 17, remember when Jesus feeds the 5,000. So I want you to understand the difference that being filled with the Holy Spirit makes. Because Jesus was with them, obviously, when he fed the 5,000, right? But let me read this to you. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. It says, As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed, and they followed on foot from many towns. This is at the Sea of Galilee, and it's one of those amazing pictures. If you ever get to go there and see the Jesus boat, and Jesus gets in a boat, goes out, and the people are walking on the shore. They're finding where he's at, and they're following him, even when he goes out in the boat. It says, so Jesus saw the huge crowd that has stepped from the boat, as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. That evening, don't miss this, that evening the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place. So he's out in the middle of nowhere, right? So what are they seeing? So you got to picture this from the disciples' perspective at this point. It says, it's getting late. He said, send the crowds away. That's what they told Jesus. Send them away away. That's what they wanted. They saw that the people were hungry. They saw that they were sick. They looked at them and they said, it's late. We're tired. We're out in the middle of nowhere. Send them away. Okay. This is before Pentecost, right? And what did Jesus say to them? He said, but Jesus said, that isn't necessary. He said, you feed them. you love that. Jesus put it right back on them, right? You guys take care of it, right? And he says, and the disciples, they go, and they answered, it says, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. That's before Pentecost, right? So they base their decisions. Is it safe to say they base their decisions on what they had on hand? Pretty safe to say, right? They looked around, they go, we can't meet this need. There's no 7-Eleven around here. There's no place that we can go. All we've got is five loaves and two fish. But now what do they know? What do they know in the book of Acts? that they didn't know then. They know that anything is possible with God. They know that, man, God can do whatever God wants to do. They understand now. What is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is, what do we say in Galatians chapter 5? It's love. What is it, Mike? Cosper's been teaching on this. Love and joy and peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah, you go, they have all that now, right? So instead of looking at the people, looking at the people and going, send them away, now they're motivated by what? The Holy Spirit who lives within them, and they see them through the eyes of compassion, and now they're going, let's meet the need. And, I, and that's so important to me because, again, you can tell someone who is either filled with the Spirit, who's walking in the Spirit, when you face trouble like that, that you look and you go, man, there's a need. Let's try to meet that need. It's not, oh man, this is an impossible thing. The person who's not filled with the Holy Spirit will, yes, they, they might be very intelligent. They might have high intellect and they'll look at things and they'll go, oh, send them away because it's impossible, right? They're looking at it through the or It's going to cost me. I don't have time. I'd have to go too far. You go, and then you look at what can God do in and through a person who believes that God can do anything and that God can do everything, and that God has a desire to reach people. You go, that, this is what made the church exciting. This is what was happening in the church in Acts here as the Holy Spirit fell upon them, because it changed them from the inside out. It wasn't conformity. Remember, 
Paul has warned us, don't be conformed. Don't let the world press you in, but be transformed, be changed. Let the Holy Spirit do that work in your life. You'll see the world in a different way. You'll see people in a different way. And it's not just the people, like I said, and, and I love this in chapter six, it's not just the Hebrew widows, the people that, that you know everything about. He goes, it's going to be these Hellenists that come from Greece and, and they have a whole different culture. They don't even go to your church, right? They don't even go to your church. And they go, oh, but they helped us. I love the fact I look around churches in this community that are bigger than we are, that through the years we've helped and we've invested in and we've given money to, we've given resources, we've given stuff just to help them. Pastors in this town that just starting out had nothing, whether it's buying them a vehicle, giving them an audio system, giving them the chairs, giving them tables, giving them everything that they had need. And few of them are not even our denomination. They're not, we're not non-denominational, Calvary Chapel. They go, oh, why would you guys help us? You're not even in our denomination. It doesn't matter. You guys are, you're doing something. You're serious about the work of God. And if we can now, are there times when we go, yeah, there's a couple of things that are coming on and someone might come and say, Hey, can we have this? Or we go, and we're saving it for a Calvary Chapel. And there's been times when that's happened as well, where we've made a commitment to a work. It's just, we're doing something in Maui, right? So if we had a resource, we'd say, man, we'd love to, but we're setting this aside right now for that. And that's again, just being prayerful about it. But the beauty of it is when the Holy Spirit just is working in and through his people, you go, your motivation is what? It's love. And, and love, you go, love isn't I'll love you. Because remember, Jesus said, even sinners love. That's an interesting. You know, sinners love sinners for what they get back in return. And we see that in the world today. And so it's pretty fascinating as you look at this. And so he said, to look for these type of men, you could say are women in this regard here, these three characteristics, make sure they're of good reputation, meaning that they're known. Don't just grab somebody who comes into the church and they go, hey, we don't even know them, right? And the, what the apostles did here is so amazing, right? Because you had, obviously, there was a complaint that arose, a complaint arose. And what did they do? They prayed. They didn't just all of a sudden go, hey, God gave us common sense. We'll take care of it or I'll do it or call the church. You guys take care of it. No, what they did was they prayed. And the solution is amazing as you look at this. Find the men that the people know. They're full of the Holy Spirit. They're spiritual. You know that old expression that says they were so heavenly minded, they were of no earthly good? It's really not true. We'll never be earthly good until we're heavenly minded. But the beauty of it is that there's a balance between the two. And we'll see this here. It's not just that they, they were prayerful, that they sought the things of God but they were practical. There's spiritual and there's practical. Spiritual and there's practical. And, and it says they were full of wisdom. And again, that's where the practical comes in. There you go. They weren't just men that had their head in the clouds, so to speak. They were able to analyze situation. This could be the same thing for women too. Both could apply here. He said, but where were they to get him? Did it say, go hire him? It says, no, choose from within that people that you know that are around you, that are amongst you, what were they telling them? Who were they talking to? They were talking to the Hellenists. They weren't talking to the Hebrews. The Hellenists brought a complaint that arose amongst them. What a beautiful way that, that the apostles listened to what they said. They recognized that there was a need, and they said, and you guys become the answer to your own prayer. They didn't pick, no, they didn't pick Hebrews. What would have, they, what would have happened if they said, hey, because we're Hebrews, we're going to send Hebrews to go minister to the needs of the Hellenists. Do you think they would have, that would have squilched it? I don't think so. I think there would have still been murmuring. I think there still would have been complaining. But when they sent their own, what were they going to do now? It was the Hellenists that became the answer to the problem. And I think it just demonstrates the wisdom of God in the life of the apostles here. And so it's a wonderful thing that took place. Again, you think about 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, it says, in the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity, they must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience before they are appointed as deacons. Let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons in the same way their wives must be respected and not be slander of others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything that they do. 
A deacon must be faithful to his wife, and he must manage his children and his household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. And he's, yeah, just, it's right there in the Word. Just, again, allow the Word of God to mold our thoughts. Let's be, have a biblical worldview. Again, let's let the Bible shape the way that we think, the way that we respond. Would you agree with this, though? Problems are always made worse by complaining and murmuring. Would you agree with that? Problems are always made worse with complaining and murmuring. So when you start to do that, you go, just know if you're heading down that road, you're only going to make it worse. It will not get better through complaining or murmuring, but it could get better through what? Through prayer. Just stopping and go, okay, Lord, what is it that you want from me? I'm always reminded of Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Seven things God hates. Six things says God hates. Seven things, an abomination before God. It says there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things that he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies. And then just as simply as this, then just like he tosses us in. Because you go, oh, all those other things. Oh, yeah, I get that. And you go, and then you go, but a person who sows discord, a person who's a gossip, a person who's a talebearer, a person who's dispensing information to people that it doesn't even involve, but somehow you decide that it is. And you go, what are you doing? With the information you're using, you know that, and God's going, it's an abomination because what you're doing is going to set that person against other people. And he goes, and he hates it. He hates it. The devil loves it. And when we became a Calvary Chapel, it was after a church split. And it's interesting, I, I can't say anything about it because people live in Bakersfield, but it's interesting because I read this chapter and I, wow, it follows this whole thing. And, but I was sitting in Don McClure's office at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and I was just crying, literally crying. I said, John, Don, I'm so embarrassed. I said, we, we've filled out all this paperwork to become Calvary Chapel. I go, it's just a big old mess. And, and he sat there with me. We talked for about four hours in his office. And I just love the guy. He's just a super human being, a great man of God. And he looks at me and he goes, Mike, he said, he goes, Right now, he goes, there's a thousand and five Calvary chapels. And he goes, half of them started because of a church split. He goes, do I like that? He goes, not at all. He goes, does God use it? And he goes, absolutely. And he goes, all I can tell you is, is go with God and trust God and look to him. And, and, and I can look at this through my own personal life, both successes and failures in ministry. And what I see is I go, this isn't about people in that regard. It's about God. It's not, people aren't perfect. We're, we're sinful. I'm sinful. You are sinful. Every person that ever walks through this door of any church is sinful. And the best thing that we can do is pray for each other, bring correction when we can bring correction, affirm, again, help one another to grow and to become like Christ in our lives. You go, but there is no perfect church. There, there is no perfect people. The only one who's perfect is the reason that hopefully that we all came today, amen, is that we came to serve and to worship a perfect God and putting, fixing our eyes upon Jesus and to recognize the schemes of the devil. That man, Satan loves to use us when he can. And of all the things that he probably does today is he, where he's really having success in the world, and especially because of social media, is sowing discord amongst the brethren. But what a difference the Holy Spirit makes, right? Instead of send them away on that becoming your heart, send them away. We don't, we look at, oh, we don't have the reason. We don't send them away. And you go, but people filled with the Holy Spirit are going, God, no, you know, what's needed. You can multiply a couple loaves of bread and five fish. Is there anything too difficult for God and to have that kind of heart? But only people filled with the Holy Spirit will have that kind of heart. will have those kind of eyes and have those kind of ears to see and to hear what the Holy Spirit is doing. So their heart is, the, the apostles there, they go, man, let's fix the problem because they knew that they weren't the answer. They knew that God was the answer. In, in Matthew's gospel, the disciples didn't want to do it. They sent him away because they thought they were the solution and they didn't want to do it. And they didn't have the necessary means of meeting the need. But in the book of Acts in chapter six, after Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit's been given, you go, man, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens. Whatever God's called you to do, he will provide the strength for you 
to accomplish it. And verse four goes on, it says, and then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching of the word of God. And what did they say first? Long before teaching, they said first in prayer, then the ministry of the word. Again, to speak to God about men before they ever speak to men about God. I think that's so important when we think about murmuring, gossiping, you go, am I speaking to men? Am I speaking to God? Talk to God about men before we'd ever talk to men about God. And so they understood the, these widows that were in need there. And so they said, hey, choose some from amongst you that are actually from amongst them. Such wisdom there. It says in verse 5, everyone liked this idea. So they chose the following, Stephen, a, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Peremius, Nicholas of Antioch. He was a, a convert of the Jewish faith. And again, you look at that and you go, what were all their names? Their names are all Greek, okay? Again, and, and I, you just can't miss that, that Greek names, that they were most likely Hellenists that themselves, that God had worked through their lives and the apostles recognized them. And I love this. So what did the apostles do? They said, you go out and choose them, but we'll approve them. So who had the final word? This wasn't a congregational setting. They didn't go, the church could vote on this or anything else. They go, no. The apostles had the final say. They go, hey, you guys, we're involving you. Think about it. Pray about it. You guys choose them. Bring them to us, and we will affirm them, right? It says in verse 6, and so these, it says, were presented to the apostles and who prayed for them and as they laid their hands on them. And I always, I love this. They go, they laid their hands on them. You go, yes, because they saw what you and I need to see. There's no mundane task within the body of Christ. Every task within a church is a spiritual task. Every task leads to something. I remember one pastor was, was sharing a story about someone in his church was a bouncer at some kind of, it'd be like in Bakersfield, it'd be like whatever that deja vu thing is in town. And there was a guy in the church that actually worked there. He worked the door. And there was a girl who was one of the dancers in this place. And she got so disgusted with her life and someone had shared the gospel with her and that she ultimately ends up giving her life to Jesus Christ. And so she comes to church and who does she see at the church? She sees the bouncer from the place that she worked because she quit. And the story unfolds and she never went back to that church and she never went back to church again. And you go, why? And she goes, because as she told people in her life was that she thought the church is just, what's the difference between the church and the world? I work with this guy and he goes to church every day and then he's involved in the ministry of the church. He's an usher working the door at the church, just like he works as an usher working the door at the deja vu. And you go, and he, in his own heart and mind, don't know the whole story, but what would he think at that point? He goes, I'm not the pastor of the church, right? How important can my, what my role is? And you go, but do, does every one of us have a role? Does every one of us have a responsibility? And you go, absolutely. And so I love that. It says, so these were presented to the apostles who prayed for them and they laid their hands on them. You know, you'll talk to people today. There's a movement and they go, <laughs> we're going through the book of Acts. They go, yeah, we don't go to organized church anymore. What we're doing is we're staying at home. And you go, which totally defies everything about the book of Acts. And you think a house church, again, is a wonderful thing. We have connect groups, right? But those are an extension of the church. They're not in place of it. This is how dedicated the church in Acts was to gathering together. Remember, they went to Solomon's colonnade, right? Solomon's porch. That was outside. Have you ever been to Israel? It gets cold in the wintertime. You know what? It even snows there, right? And they're so faithful. They didn't have a church. They didn't have a building. Do you think if they had a building, they would have went to it? Absolutely. They didn't have one. And so they continued to meet, yes, every place that they possibly could because of their love for one another. Not a click, not a clack, but for one another. And so they gathered together, they prayed for one another, and they were involved in the community life of, that was going on around them. And so these then apostles, they laid their hands on them. And what a wonderful example this is. I have, you know, my notes here in John 13, one through five, 
Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And you think about just practical service. Apart from the cross, that was probably the most beautiful thing that Jesus had ever done when he washed the disciples' feet. And so we can never downplay serving other people, the, what we call the menial task, all those things, what they mean to people. It's just those little things. It's the littles that make bigs in, in life. And so I, I hope that encourages you through that. And verse seven, and we end with this, he says, so God's message continued to spread. And I, I love this. So what do they do? They were, the devil tried it again, right? He tries to get him through persecution. What happened? That failed. The church grew, right? Then he goes and man, he's going to try it through corruption. He's going to try it through infighting and all the things. And you go, what happened? And it says, and God's message continued to spread. You can't stop it. God's going to work through it. It says, and the number of believers, and this is, look at this. The number of believers says greatly increased in Jerusalem. It says, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. That's fascinating. Why were the priests, you think of that, why were they converted too? What happened, remember when Jesus died? What happened in the temple that day, do you recall? Tells us says the veil of the temple, yeah, the veil of the temple was torn, right? From top to bottom, an 18-inch curtain was torn that separated the holy place from the most holy place, right? And, and it was torn, not with human hands, it said, but by the very hands of God. So you could go beyond the veil. The priests were there. They saw it. There, there's hundreds of priests who work in the temple and in the temple grounds that are there. They saw that. You don't think that didn't impact their life in a profound way? Then to hear the message, right? So they saw it. And all of a sudden they're hearing, they're putting it all together. And it says, and the Jewish priests then became converted too. And they became followers of Christ. And man, I'll tell you that, that is so powerful. And I, I pray that it speaks to us is that again, it's actions. They saw things with their eyes. They heard the word. So we're preaching the word, but we're living it out on our lives. And they're seeing it in the way, not only that you're living in your personal life, but in the way that you minister to the world. It's like when people go, why did you help me? Why did you do that? I was telling Mike Ackerson the other day, I had a, an opportunity. I went to, took a guy to lunch and pulled up there and there was a car teetering over the back wall. They had driven off. It was probably about as tall as this platform and down to the ground. And they drove off it thinking that it was a driveway, but it was actually just off the concrete. And it was an old, like Chevy Tahoe. And the thing was just hanging there. There was a guy there and he had a, like a Chevy 1500 pickup truck. And he was trying to pull her back and there was bolts sticking down from her vehicle and they were stuck on the concrete. And he was a Christian. And cause I walked up and I started talking with him, found out right away. He'd been there for an hour and a half. Didn't even know this lady. He's all sweaty. He's frustrated because he's tried to help. And he's, cause I said, Hey, you guys, do you need any help? And he's what help do you think you could be? And I go, I'm pretty sure I could pull her car right out of there. And he's like, you think so? And I said, so yeah. And he's, why do you think that? I got this. And I go, I have that. So I point back and I have a GMC 2500. So he goes, Oh, okay. Let's see. So I told my, I put the, the hook on the front of the, I didn't even back up to it. I just pulled up to the front, put the hook onto the head on the ground there and I was fiddling around. I put it into four wheel drive low and went to put it into reverse. And when I looked up the, her car was already out. It, I did, it just barely got even, I didn't even have a chance to do a man thing, hit the gas or anything. It was so powerful. It just pulled the thing right out. And I was like, dang, I didn't even get to really do anything, but it, it just, it worked. Right. So I get out and they're like, oh my gosh. And so, hey, I go, I go, where do you go to church? So I find out she knows all about Calvary Chapel and, and Cap K, she needed food, she needed help, all this. And I'm just, I'm going, man, this is so cool that the way the Lord does this. And, but the thing that was, I was only there a few seconds, but that guy had been there for an hour and a half. That spoke volumes to me. He didn't know the lady at all. And it was so frustrating. He was just going, but he wasn't going to give up. And he was praying. And then, so as we started talking, he's like, man, I was just praying, God, send somebody, send somebody. And to get to be part of somebody's answer for prayer. And to be able to help people, you go, that, that, that should just be the life of a Christian. And then she's like, thank you so much. And yes. And then the problem, I'll be at church on Sunday, but it isn't why you do her. Did I ever see her? No. But was she worthy of help? You go, absolutely. And the same thing that God does for her, he does for me every single day in one way, shape or form through other people. And our greatest prayer in closing should be this is every day we're going, God, 
I need you to fill me. I need you to fill me with your power, with your presence, with your strength. Because today there's so many opportunities to reveal Christ to an unbelieving world and to affirm and to encourage a believing world. But we don't have the strength in and of ourselves, do we? We got our own things that we're having to deal with. And you go, and if I'm looking at it from my own perspective, you go, yeah, my eyes are going to be on me. But when I get my eyes on God and I've spending time in prayer and I spend time in the word, it is amazing what God can do. Amen. And so make it your prayer today as you go from this place. God, if you sense that in your life, you go, you definitely recognize in that story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 that in your heart, you go, you're more of a send them away. <laughs> and you go, you want that change and you don't like that about you. I know I don't like that when I do that. And I love that I can stop and I can pray and I go, God, fill me with your presence, fill me with you. And he does. He says, he'll never not do it. He says, ask. He says, I will give the Holy Spirit to all who ask. Because you're not asking for yourself. You're asking so that you can glorify God and meet the needs of other people. Amen. Let's stand. We'll pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love in our life. Again, as this Thanksgiving weekend, the Lord comes to an end. God, we count our blessings. So many things to be thankful for. I know for Lee and I, just our whole church family, we thank you for each and every person, those that we know, those that we don't know. We thank you for the opportunities to, to serve one another. I thank you for the love, Lord, in this church, the way that people go out of their way to open up their hearts, their homes, their pocketbook, whatever is needed to meet need. And to know that, Lord, we're just called to be conduits. We're just called to be something that you can flow through. And so today, Lord, if there's areas of our life where we're living in sin and it's blocking the flow of your spirit, God, help us to confess those things to you, to be washed and be cleansed so that, Lord, you can flow through us. Because, Lord, that's what you want to do by the power of your Holy Spirit is to flow through our lives, Lord, and touch the people around us. That, that's the best way that we can bring glory to you, loving you with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as ourself. And so help us to do that, Lord, this week, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.